0: everyone. Welcome back to Hair of the Werewolf. I'm Lily and I have with me Chase. What's up? And we are a horror paranormal podcast that like to tell each other true scary stories from all over the world and from what Chase says even out of this world. Yeah. (laughs) And so um, begins our new episode. We usually come out weekly but we've been a little off about it but that's okay because we're here now.
1: We've mostly been focusing really hardcore on Home improvements, gardening, getting our house straight, which is shocking how much time that takes. We're also planning a big vacation. All this stuff takes a little time, but hopefully it won't distract us too much longer.
0: And it won't be a bad idea for us to go on vacation because we're going to hopefully hit some haunted spots on the way there. In fact,
1: it's one of our big focuses. It's it's
0: a huge focus. So I think it'll work out really well.
1: Maybe some on-location recording. It'll be great. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. And Lily's already getting started with a cocktail, but it makes sense. It's it's actually after five, so (laughs) we don't have to be embarrassed. (laughs) It
0: actually is this time. Uh, Yeah, I'm pretty happy about that. So it's time to wind down, settle in, because we have some pretty spooky stories.
1: Unless you're on your way to work right now and then it's time oh, yeah. to get jazzed for work with some scary stories.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whichever one you need, we're here for you. Okay, so I guess I'll go first as tradition. <laughs> tradition. <laughs> oh, and before I get into my story, I do want to say one thing. It is quite uh, graphic and a little disturbing in a lot of ways. So if you're very sensitive and or maybe you're eating something right now, you might want to put it down if that's going to bother you because this story is going to be a wild ride. So this story for uh, today is the Russian Sleep Experiment. Does Russian
1: that... Sleep Experiment? Yes.
0: Have you heard of it? Because it's, it's quite popular. I have not. Really? Okay. I'm just curious. Is only... Sometimes...
1: No, I think it's shocking how many supernatural stuff we cover that are Russian origin because... Oh, uh, you did well, the, Baba, did the Yaga, Baba Yaga, but I did the Diatlov Pass, right?
0: Oh, right. Yes.
1: Yeah. And so apparently, some creepy stuff happens with there. And they also have like <laughs> we often cover UFO stuff in this podcast. Outside of the U.S., the only two countries that have notable massive amounts of UFO stuff like us tends to be it's England, UK, and, Russia. and yeah. So, huh? Who'd have thought that? So Who right now, knows. Yeah, and and don't worry, we are going to avoid all political stuff relating to that because. That's not what this podcast is about. This is all fun stuff. Oh, so. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, so this story takes place in the 1940s when Russian researchers wanted to conduct a 15-day experiment where they kept five people awake using an experimental gas-based stimulant.
1: Okay, so this is already, for any of you Firefly fans out there, <laughs> the movie Serenity, like one of the major plot points to that was that they were attempting to...
0: Calm the calm population. Calm with
1: yeah, with, with a additive to the air, the atmosphere generators and whatnot, and it didn't work out so well. And I'm wondering if things like that that show up in science fiction, fantasy and whatnot, they're usually based on real world horror stories. And I'm wondering if this is one of them. I
0: mean, this is, you'll see, you'll see. So the experimental gas in question was toxic in high concentrations. So scientists decided to keep their subjects in a sealed environment where their oxygen and gas levels can be carefully monitored. Again, this is the 1940s, so they didn't actually have 24-hour security cameras to monitor their behavior. Instead, they had five-inch-thick glass porthole-sized windows for observation and microphones installed inside. To be clear, these five men were not volunteers.
1: Oh, excellent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that...
0: They were political prisoners who were enemies of the state during World War II.
1: Yeah, it's. I was going to say, this sounds like a very World War II thing. Yeah. Every country is guilty of uncool stuff in it's World War II. It's pretty
0: uncool. Yeah. Yeah. Not cool, brah. <laughs> However, they were told that they'd be pardoned and set free if they managed to conduct this experiment for 30 days. Essentially, when they were already imprisoned, they were informed of this opportunity. So it's kind of like, do you really have a choice? You might as well give it a shot, right? Yeah. Inside the chamber, books, cots, running water, and a toilet were provided As well as dried food that was meant to last for over a month, Mm. so they like over prepared, which is really nice. Although unless
1: unless you're fat like me, and then that food only lasts like a week, (laughs) right? I'm like uh, the hobbits eating the elvish bread.
0: I was like, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) 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 Oh yeah,
1: the limba bread. (laughs) Yeah, it's like it's like. Wait, that was a month. I thought it was just a really nice welcome to the like the cell meal
0: i just like it because like legolas is trying to be super like stoic and he's like only one bite will last you a week and then <laughs> hobbit's like how many did you have he's like i've had four <laughs> oh my and god and i'm still hungry and i'm still hungry okay well um so they were provided cots but no bedding uh was included because the idea was that they weren't allowed to sleep but they did want them relatively comfortable uh at day five the experiment seemed to be going just fine the subjects appeared comfortable with minimal complaints. The only thing that was noted, however, was that they continued to talk about increasingly traumatic incidents from their past, and their general tone of
1: conversation took a darker aspect. Wait, 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 wait. You're telling me, like, you're just jumping straight and saying they yeah, made it so, five days without sleeping?
0: So basically, th- yeah, so the, the experiment, they're only noting, like, weird behaviors, because the idea is that they want this gas to work. So they're not going to be like, oh, day two still okay. Day three, everything's fine. Four, things are getting a little weird. Five, we're still like treading on steady water kind of thing.
1: I mean, I think the longest I've gone, granted I didn't have a chemical, was two, uh, like, so I guess it was three straight days, two nights without sleep, and I was in a bad way yeah. on day three.
0: I think I've, what's the longest I've ever done? I think maybe, yeah, almost three, but definitely two I've done. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've pulled one-nighters in college, and not how had to fun. go to work. No, when you add another not. day.
1: You kind of feel like you're shutting down. Like you feel like your brain isn't working right anymore. And you don't
0: trust yourself either. Nope. You're like, am I thinking correctly? Like what is happening? Yeah. You start to kind of lose it a little bit.
1: So these people are talking about traumatic experiences from like the past that they're remembering. Now? So
0: like their stuff, they're just becoming like their conversation is becoming more morose and mm. like, you know what I mean? So it's affecting them in some fashion now. And they're starting to note that in their research notes. So after five days, the mood shifted more drastically, and the subjects began to complain more and more and develop paranoia. The men stopped talking to each other and instead focused only on whispering to the microphones at the portholes. They would try to gain the scientists' trust by offering their fellow men secrets, hoping to be released earlier. So they're kind of betraying each other. Interesting. And, yeah, and also like maybe secrets that they would have had from whatever mm-hmm. country they were from and whatnot. So, unfortunately, the scientists weren't looking for this information. To them, they were just lab rats, so it didn't matter. Their betrayal from one another was noted as a side effect of the gas and not their lack of sleep. Mm. After the ninth day, one of the test subjects began to scream at the top of his lungs for three hours, all while running around. And after three hours of screaming, he lost his voice, and all that was heard was raspy squeaking. However, the most disturbing part wasn't the screaming, but rather how the other captives reacted or didn't react to such an intense situation during the entire ordeal the men simply continued to whisper into the microphones this is until the second man began to scream uncontrollably two men were now screaming and the others fell silent the men who appeared calm quickly proved to be anything but they quietly got up tore pages out of their books and smeared their feces on it as an adhesive to paste on the glass on the, of the portholes as upsetting as this was to the researchers, they continued with the experiment. Once the researchers lost complete visual, all screams stopped instantly. So now we're on day 12.
1: 12 days.
0: <laughs> Without sleep. Oh my gosh. Scientists were constantly monitoring the microphones to make sure that they were still working since all sounds ceased to exist. Even the tiniest sound like shuffling or footsteps were indiscernible. Even though researchers couldn't see or hear them... They were still able to get readings of oxygen consumption levels, and it was consistent that the readings they logged at the beginning of the experiment uh, were like, yes, there would be five people. In fact, the levels were even higher than normal,
1: mm. which
0: would mean like they were doing like strenuous exercises. Or
1: hyperventilating. Or
0: hyperventilating, exactly. So two more days passed. So it's day they 14. They still can't see. They still can't and see. And they're not
1: hearing anything. No. So they're just sitting there in silence.
0: Exactly. And the researchers have become increasingly desperate for a response. They decided to do something that they never planned on doing, use their intercom to provoke a response. They announced, quote, We are opening the chamber to test the microphones. Step away from the door and lie flat on the floor or you will be shot. Compliance will earn you one of your immediate freedom, end quote. They heard a single phrase in a calm voice respond, quote, We no longer want to be freed, end quote. Researchers asked more questions and demanded compliance, but the subjects remained silent. This sparked debate between the scientists and military personnel on what to do next. The only thing they agreed on was to end the experiment early. For safety, they needed first to flush out the stimulant gas and refill it with fresh air, which would take time. However, as soon as they began this process, voices were immediately heard over the microphone. Three distinct voices were heard pleading for their lives and asked that the gas be turned back on. The request was denied. The chamber was open and soldiers entered the room to retrieve the test subjects. Immediately, the screams were heard coming out of the chamber, not just from the test subjects, but from the soldiers as well. It was discovered that four of the five subjects were still alive, barely, and here's what they found. Even though the men were locked in chambers for 15 days, only five days of food rations were used. There were chunks of meat removed from the dead test subjects' thighs and chest which were then used to stuff and cover the drain located in the center of the chamber. This caused it to block any blood from draining, resulting in like an accumulated four inch of still fluid. As for the remaining four, they all had large areas of muscles and skin missing from their bodies. The wounds were self-inflicted by the hands, and they could tell because the fingertips were exposed, and it was almost like torn to the
1: bone. (laughs) Dis- I, uh, I'm just going to say the reason I'm not replying is I'm sitting here with
0: <laughs> just my jaw
1: on the floor uh, and this is like horrifying. I just
0: wish you can, like people can see your face. It's pretty amazing. So, more disturbingly, their abdomens, like their organs, from their rib cage down had been removed. Their hearts, lungs, and diaphragm were untouched. However, the muscles that attach to the ribs were ripped off exposing the lungs. Despite the massacre, every organ and blood vessel remained intact and were carefully taken out and placed on the floor. Everything was still working, even the digestive tract that could be seen working and digesting food. It became apparent that instead of eating the prepackaged food, they were slowly eating their own flesh. The Russian special operatives were instructed to move the test subjects, but many refused to even step foot in the chamber. The desperate screams from the test subjects continued as they demanded that the gas be turned back on they were terrified to fall back asleep, or to fall asleep at all. After some convincing, soldiers went in, and to everyone's surprise, the test subjects were strong enough to fight them off for a while. There were casualties where one soldier's throat was ripped off, or like, you know, torn away, bled to death, and another soldier's artery on his leg was severed after being bitten. Three more soldiers lost their lives, but only weeks following the incidents as because they committed suicide. They weren't able to cope with the atrocities they witnessed that day. As for the test subjects, one of the remaining men had their spleen ruptured during the struggle and bled out. The shocking part was that when scientists tried to sedate him with drugs, he would not calm down, even after 10 times the normal dosage. As he was dying, his heart was still beating for full two minutes, and he continued to scream more, over and over again, until his words became weaker and finally fell silent. The three remaining test subjects were restrained and moved to an immediate like to a medical facility immediately. After two of the three still had their vocal cords intact and continued to beg for the gas to be so brought back to the chamber, yeah, and and for the gas to be turned back on. One of the test subjects were taken into surgery and was given anesthesia. However, it didn't seem to work. The patient fought until more and more anesthesia was given. Finally the man's eyes began to flutter until they shut uh, but in that very instant his heart also stopped and he died. An autopsy was performed and it was found that his oxygen levels were triple the normal amount. He had nine broken bones and had multiple torn muscle ligaments. One of the two remaining test subjects who were brought in for surgery strongly objected to the surgery as he violently shook his head. He tried screaming in protest, but his vocal cords were already completely shot. Mm-hmm. He became even more distraught when they started to give him anesthesia. Curiously, one of the doctors asked if he would prefer that they perform the surgery without anesthetic, to which the patient approved with relief. The procedure lasted about six hours, and during the entire time, the patient remained completely still and had little to no reaction. Once they were done operating, the patient began to wheeze loudly as if trying to talk. The surgeon, assuming it was important, provided the patient with a pen and pad. He simply wrote, quote, Keep cutting, end quote. The second survivor was also taken his surgery and was not given anesthesia either, because he also refused it. However, he was injected with a paralytic because every time the doctor would cut into him, he'd laugh incessantly. Every time the drugs would begin to wear off, he would again try to set himself free and beg for the gas. At one point the doctor asked why he had injured himself and why was he like so desperate for this gas. The patient would only respond, I must remain awake. The doctors and the researchers were in agreement that the best option was to euthanize the remaining test subjects. However, the commanding officer denied the request and wanted to proceed with the experiment. He believed there was more to learn from this and basically wanted to see it through. The chamber was again prepared, but this time EEG um, monitors were connected to their brain or to their heads to monitor brain activity. They also decided to restrain them, to prevent further injury. As soon as the subjects were informed that they would be returning to the chamber, they stopped resisting and they became very calm. Once they were placed inside the chamber, the experiment continued relatively smoothly, considering <laughs> the only actions to note were one of the test subjects hummed loudly while the other blinked rapidly. One nurse, monitoring results uh, from the paper scrolling of the EEG computer uh-huh. thing, Yeah. Notice at the moment, one of the subjects head or like he would lay down his head on a pillow and shut his eyes, even if it was just a second or a couple seconds, his brain waves would flatten, but then immediately spike again once he opened his eyes. Now she notices for like a couple of moments until he laid his head one more time and then died. So there was only, so now there's only one test subject remaining. Yeah. Yeah. So he died. Even though the gas is turned back on, for some reason, he wasn't able to stay awake. Now, in that same moment, when he died, the last remaining test subject started screaming. Researchers were kind of in a frenzy, and they were looking at the screaming man's EEG readings, and it also showed to be flat, which was weird. When the commanding officer was made aware of this, he ordered that the chamber be sealed with him and three other researchers still inside. So he just wanted to, like... Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, red alert, red alert. Sure, sure. Now, one of the researchers panicked, drew his gun, and shot the commanding officer in the head to stop him from closing the door, because he did not
1: want to be
0: in there with this guy. And the other two researchers fled the scene, and only him and the test subjects remained in the room. The researcher that turned the gun on, that, on the commanding officer turned his gun to the test subject and yelled, what are you? I must know. The subject smiled and responded, quote, we are you. We are the madness that lurks within you, begging to be free at every moment in your deepest animal mind. We are what you hide from in your beds every night. We are what you sedate into silence and paralysis when you go to the nocturnal haven where we cannot tread, end quote. The researcher, overcome with fear, shot the subject in the heart. As he choked on his own blood, he said his last few words, quote, so nearly free, end quote. So that is the end of that story. And that
1: might be the most horrifying <laughs> thing I've ever heard on this podcast. Okay,
0: so it is
1: horrifying. I'm actually feeling a little traumatic.
0: So here, I don't know if this is going to alleviate your trauma or not, but I'm hoping it will. It is considered to be fake. It's a creepy pasta. However, there are still some people out there who think it's real, so I don't know. But it's unanimously considered not not like legitimate. However, it, the atrocities of war, like we talked earlier, would suggest that maybe something similar or just as awful, really, would have happened to people during war. You know what I mean? Like prisoners and whatnot. Yeah. So on some level, it's horrifying because we still know that these things could have happened. But maybe in this specific scenario, it was not. So safe. you're
1: telling me there's absolutely no evidence that this happened? <laughs> <laughs> not really. Okay. So because there were, uh, my number one question is, how have I never heard of this chemical? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like... The other part that was really alarming me is when you said five days without sleep, I was like, I was pretty sure that humans die. They getting 12. And I was like, okay, so maybe this chemical is affecting things. Like it's but, doing something but else. But I was yeah. like, most I, I I don't remember what the what the number is, but I thought like after a week without sleep, like humans are supposed to die. Oh right. And so I was really confused for a second. I was like, I but I was just like so going this I was like crazy <laughs> war experiments. All right. We'll I also
0: there. kinda pulled pulled one over you because i didn't specify that you know at the beginning that it's fake or anything like that or it's a creepy pasta because you know when people first read this they thought it was real It was kind of like the blair witch project thing where they were like is this based on a true story like what's happening like what's going on here is there like news reports of these kids missing and in this instance people were like holy cow this is for real this is the most horrible thing i've ever read yeah it was and exactly and so when you first hear it without any context you're like what the hell And it's pretty interesting that whoever wrote this, uh, wrote it in such a way that it was just believable enough and horrifying, which in itself is horrible because that means like we are capable of this. Does that make sense? And that's just awful.
1: See, (laughs) and the thing is, whenever you do a story, I always assume after you tell me the story, it's going to be backed up with all these things. So I was waiting for those, which is why I was horrified and not asking questions. I think if I ran across this story on the internet, first thing I would do is, Google search something to get like because I'm the guy who gets really obsessed with oh, like uh, details, course, yeah, and, and stuff. And I would have I would have found out within like a paragraph that it was fake, right? But since you were telling me the story, I was just like, all right, she'll give me some explanations later. She'll give me some explanations, and then I didn't get them, so I feel bamboozled.
0: No, you are bamboozled, and I'm actually like, I was like, man, at some point I know he's going to interrupt you and be like, hold on, like that was not like that can't be real or something. But you know, once you start get the story going, it's such a slow progression that you're like what the hell? Like, what is happening? So, again, horrible things happen in war. This one didn't. And the only real controversy is agreeing on its origin. So, there are two possible sources. One of the first sightings was on Creepypasta, uh, posted by user Orange Soda, back in August 10th, 2010. However, a post from a bodybuilding forum claimed that it was a first to have this story posted on Mm. by Falcon Punch in August 20th, 2009. So a year before in the post Falcon Punch claims that this story was also shared by him or like to him by his brother. So if that's true, then the story is even older than we think Mm. and we don't really know where it comes from. There's also a very creepy picture associated with the story. So whenever you look up the Russian sleep experiment, you'll see like an image pop up of a humanoid skinny, really gross looking creature with, unusually large sunken eyes pale skin and a creepy grin the image is in black and white making it even more like ooh, maybe it is from world war ii you know <laughs> oh
1: mysterious
0: <laughs> it's more mysterious well uh, this has also been debunked the picture is from a halloween prop named spasm created by morbid enterprise in 20 or 2005 so why is it so famous okay well, even though Falcon Punch predates Orange Soda's post, Orange Soda's story was read up by Mr. Creepypasta's channel in November uh, 2011, gaining more popularity. However, in October 2012, user Griffin23 posted the story on subreddit WTF mm-hmm. uh, in October 2012, making it like just into media, basically. Like okay. from there, it totally took off. And when you post on WTF, a lot of it is supposed to be kind of real, I think. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what the hell is happening here? So I think a lot of people are like, maybe this is real. Again, no one really getting any other context other than the story. So people who study modern folklore, particularly in the creepypasta genre, have narrowed down some of the reasons why stories like this and Slenderman, who also came from creepypasta. Yeah, I did know that one. Yeah, um, have made its way into mainstream media. One, storytelling for, from a personal viewpoint or a source that provides privileged information is very effective. Attached a memorable photo, or better yet, a video, which we do. We have that that weird character creature, and leave the readers wanting more. A satisfying ending is important so that people don't feel like they wasted their time, mm-hmm. but leaving just enough mystery makes people wanting more. So it does have all those three things. Well done, um, and it's just a compelling story. They did a good job. They like hit those on the nail where it's just believable enough. Now here's something a little more scary. There is a disease called fatal familial insomnia. It's a rare genetic disorder that causes the brain to slowly degenerate and cause permanent insomnia. There was a mention of this in an episode of SVU, which Mm -hmm. is like literally the first thing I thought of when I started reading this story. (laughs) I was like, wait a minute. Um, So I was like, I'm going to research it a little bit and actually find more information. So this is caused by a genetic mutation of the prion protein. This protein is found in the brain and in other tissue tissue. It hasn't been completely understood what the prion pr- protein does exactly, but we do know that it has an incredible effect on our involuntary body functions. So, for example, things that we can't control like temperature, regulation, sweating, breathing, heart rate, things we don't think about. Mm-hmm. Early symptoms include permanent insomnia, which then leads to deficit in concentration, motivation, muzzle spasms, and auditory, visual, and physical hallucinations.
1: So I actually know a lot about prions. We both do. We, yeah. We've studied it. it- For anyone out there who doesn't know what a prion disease is, the most common ones that you may have heard about are Mad cow disease and chronic wasting disease, it has a 100% mortality rate. Oh, yeah. If you get it, you will die. It is probably the scariest disease you get because it's not a bacteria. It's not a virus. It's misfolded protein. It's just a protein. And it and can and survive for like two years in soil. And e- and grass that grows in that soil, if it gets eaten, can transmit this illness. You can
0: transmit it. Yeah. Usually like elk and things like that will yep. eat it. That's like the biggest, I think, um, vector or whatever because- we eat the elk. A lot of people who go hunting that don't get it tested and for. And you
1: need to get, if you're a hunter or you know someone who's a hunter, you get your meat tested right. when you get it butchered because you don't want to eat an animal that had chronic waste and disease because you will die.
0: Mm-hmm. And sometimes you won't die for many, many years. It can take years <laughs> until
1: it shows up. But it doesn't matter if you catch it early or late. If you have it, you will die.
0: Exactly. There's no guarantee, but the death is guaranteed.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely terrifying. Anyway, I just want to throw it out there for people who are like, prions, what's that? It's a, it's a big thing.
0: <laughs> it's scary. So you're welcome. Also, aside from the horrible disease, people have attempted to stay awake for many days. The longest known, or one of the longest known, is 11 days by a 17-year-old high school student in 1965, he did this for a science fair project. What? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the good I mean, news. Science
1: fair projects used to be crazy back. I in know. The day, they're like,
0: the <laughs> here's your uranium. I don't yeah, know. Here
1: you just like all you have to do is like do a paint by numbers like <laughs> coloring thing with colored pencils glue it to a cardboard thing that just says, I read a book about science and they're like, great project. But back then, like people were like, so I'm going to like grow a artificial creature out of a sack of amoeba or something. (laughs) You're like,
0: what? Yeah, so this kid took it to another level. um, And, you know, he was having a lot of horrible side effects. Like he did become paranoid, started hallucinating, wasn't able to focus at all. So after day 11, he called it quits. And luckily he's able, like most people, everyone can recover from Lack of sleep. It took him like two nights, he said, that he felt normal again. So there was no longing effects, as far as he knows. It was all good.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure the kind of guy who says, I'm going to go 12 days out sleeping, the damage is already there. <laughs> so he went back to being the normal damage. There was self. already
0: something going yeah. on. Yeah, exactly. But then there is 80 year old Tai Nyop, who has not slept since 1962.
1: Oh, I do know about this guy.
0: Yeah. His insomnia began when he was about 20 years old. He currently lives in Vietnam with his wife in a small village. Everyone... Oh, I'm pretty sure he's passed away. Uh, no, as of this okay. year, he's still alive. Oh, okay. As far as I know, unless it happened this year. Now, everyone that knows him says that he they've never seen him sleep. Uh, for a while, he was well-known and a bit of a celebrity in Vietnam after being interviewed by many uh, news stations. He never liked the attention and didn't like being on camera. So because of this, no one was... Ill- really able to like videotape him and so there's not like a lot of evidence to suggest that you know he isn't sleeping the only evidence that we have is by medical professionals so the, he has gone to the doctor to see what was wrong because especially when if it was first happening he's like am i going to die mm-hmm. like i'm not sleeping and doctors couldn't figure it out they have no idea why he's not sleeping and even like scientists from the psychiatric hospital of kwan nam province have found that his lack of sleep has no danger to his health to this day, he is relatively healthy, and considering he smokes and drinks wine every day, so <laughs> he is healthy, but he still has his vices. In fact, he since he doesn't sleep, he usually spends his night making wine for himself and for profit, so he sells wine. Yeah. yeah. Now, there's a YouTuber called Drew Binsky who went to visit Nyope this year to interview him. The video was well made, in my opinion. I think it's worth your time if you're curious. At one point, Binsky asked if he drinks coffee, and Yelp replied, no, just rice wine, which then led him to saying that on the rare occasion, he drinks a liter of wine, <laughs> which is a lot of wine,
1: Oh
0: yeah, uh, he might pass out for about an hour or two, and then he's back to normal. So I don't know if he means pass out like he blacks out and he doesn't know if he sleeps or not, or he does actually, his brain can actually shut down at some I'm point. I'm betting
1: it's shutting down. I'm
0: guessing it is too. So it doesn't happen often, but I guess he can quote unquote sleep if that's it, or he's just in a catatonic, like mm. whatever state. Now there's a lot more to his story, but ultimately no one, including doctors again, really know what's happening here and why it doesn't have an effect on him. There's not a lot to ta- to say. Like, I think his interviews more or less go always the same way. What do you do with your spare time? Have people tried like mm-hmm. staying up with you and people do actually try to stay awake with him. And uh, especially like this guy, the YouTuber or whatever. And you can tell he was like dying by the morning. And the guy was like, whatever. Like he was just smoking a cigarette and he was totally fine. So I kind of believe it. I don't know.
1: I do believe it too. Yeah. And I think uh, the complicated thing is, and this is such a weird concept, but, you know, there are people out there with, you know, PhDs, research, everything going into, you know, not just how the brain works, but sleep studies and everything like this. And they would be able to tell you a million things we know about right. sleep. But the thing is, in general, we, there's still a lot of mysteries about the human brain. And sleep is something we're still trying to define exactly. We
0: don't even know all of it. Yeah, yeah exactly. We, we, we know we a haven't...
1: lot. And these experts are the people to talk to. But oh, of course. We, we, you can't just write down in a simple sentence why people need to sleep. And I think I, I read an article at one point where a, like a PhD... Uh, doing like research into Alzheimer's was was really making it as layman's as possible. So I'm mm-hmm. regurgitating layman's, in the, and that was that, as far as we know, just in the process of your brain functioning, either building neurons, creating connections, or just functioning, like kinds of plaque buildup in your brain. Right,
0: like there's some trash or something, yeah. like in, in the simplest way possible. And
1: when you sleep, it appears as though our brain has a method to clean that trash up instead mm-hmm. of it doing all the stuff it does when it's consciously can now function about cleaning that out and things like alzheimer's and whatnot might be caused by uh, the brain not fully cleaning itself up and over time the plaque builds up too much kind of like you know when it does in an artery and you get a heart attack right. over time i'm not saying that's exactly what's happening but this is what i was reading in the article and that there's a chance that what this guy has is a very rare and unique situation where his brain is actually able to clean itself up while he's Regularly, awake, yeah, and that would mean that he wouldn't have the desire to go to sleep because his brain doesn't need it. I'm assuming he still has to sit down and relax a lot because your muscles still. Well, need he to, still, yeah, he he has and,
0: a cot, like he doesn't. Now,
1: when you're sick, you he gotta lies take down exactly, but, and
0: I I felt kind of bad for him because at first I was like, "Dang, that sounds like badass." He does no no consequences. He can sleep, not sleep ever, and whatnot. But you know, he did sleep before, and sometimes he says that like when he's watching people sleep or like. He knows he remembers about sleep. He kind of misses it. He's like, I do wish I could sleep. It sounds really a state of relaxation that he'll never feel again kind of thing. And so I hate it, too. And so I was like, yeah, I kind of see what you mean. But I think he's romanticizing it a little bit, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, because if you don't get any sleep, you feel like shit for the rest of the day. And that's just the worst.
1: I think so. As someone like myself, I don't like sleeping. I feel like it gets in the way. It's something I have to do. It's Mm -hmm. a means to an end. I don't like it. I rarely have dreams where I'm like, that's awesome. I want to have that dream again. They're usually really boring. I have the most boring dreams <laughs> ever. Uh, I think what I would miss the most though, but the only reason I'd miss it is because I had established it as part of my life is sometimes when you're just having a bad day, you always know you can just go to sleep and try again tomorrow. It's like a reset. You're reset, you're reset like, switch.
0: I'm just going to forget this existed. And yeah. if you
1: never sleep, that's going to be gone. You're going to have to find some new way, some new practice to be able to get that. But otherwise, if I, if I slept... If I didn't sleep and I had all this time, I'm not saying I'd be super productive because I'm not as productive as I should be as a human being. I mean, it's been a couple of weeks since we put an episode. That's how unproductive (laughs) I am. Um, but, uh, I do think it would allow me to get more things done. Road trips would be a lot easier. That's for sure. No longer be like, oh, we got to get a hotel room. It's like, no, we're driving all the way. We're doing this. But I should also just preface the stuff I said about how the brain functions. That was me regurgitating layman stuff I read years ago. So do not take that as scientific fact. If you're interested, you should absolutely Google it and find the good information. I just don't want someone listening going, wait, that's a little wrong. You're right. There's probably gonna be some inaccuracies, but. It was just a general thoughts that I had I had read and remembered. But yeah. Well,
0: yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure everyone knows you're not a doctor. Just saying. Just saying.
1: Not a doctor.
0: Yeah. But yeah, so that's my story. I did find something kind of cool because I was like, oh, maybe there's like a Russian sleep experiment movie out there. And there is a short. I didn't do very well. But one thing that I did find was a three episode miniseries on Netflix called Ghoul. I don't know if you've heard of it, because no. I don't know if it's how popular it was. I never know. I like it. Yeah, so it's actually based on the uh, Arabic folklore monster ghoul or gula that had been traced as far back as ancient Mesopotamia. Now, the setting of the story takes place in a secret government facility where they do horrible experiments on humans that end up in a supernatural event. So in my opinion, and people kind of associate it a lot with the Russian sleep experiment, mm. um, like influences, but obviously the, the creature itself is more of a, actual cryptid or like it's
1: like an embodiment of the concept
0: exactly so i don't know i think it's pretty cool the the trailer looked great like it what's was it pretty, on what can we it's see on, it's on netflix somewhere?
1: all right we should watch it and then and then at least instead of spoilers just report back to our our listeners whether or not it's worth their time
0: yeah exactly so it has a seven out of ten let's do which it is really good for horror maybe tonight heck yeah oh i'm so down
1: so the thing that i got and i even mentioned at the beginning of the episode when you were first talking about it is this is straight up the reavers from firefly Yeah,
0: exactly. because
1: they were influenced by this chemical and they would cut on themselves and they would cut on other people and they would just function differently and they were all about aggression exactly so and considering when those creepypastas came out 2010
0: 2019 there's a really
1: good chance that whoever wrote this probably knew that story and it was kind of that it's a those, very good infu- influence. it's a
0: it's a good influence yes made him a
1: very good villain in firefly <laughs> oh but, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that is my story. So that was horrifying. You're welcome. And for all you listeners that were as horrified as me, as I am relieved that it's not true, <laughs> but I still feel like I need to take a shower because yeah. I feel a little grossed out.
0: It's a horrible story. I remember first reading it, I was like, "Is this for real?" Like I thought so too. But again, it was super easy for me to like Google it and be like, "Oh no, it's totally fake." But at the time while you're going you're not like stopping ha- I I'm not the kind of person to stop halfway in a story to see if it's true. I'm just uh-huh. going to I'm going to go all you the just way burn through. Yeah. Me I'm
1: I'm the I'm the kind of checker. I'm like wait a minute. I got to figure this Hold out. Hold up. Which makes me the worst person to tell stories at random because I do a lot of uh I stray yes. and I and I just go on this for a, while. a tangent, a I tangent. guess they call it. So anyway, I think I need to take a quick break to, like, refocus myself. I got a story coming up after the break, and it is not disgusting. Okay. It is it is awesome and fanciful and great. Yes. So see you guys in a few.
0: Okay, guys, we're back. I still am trying to finish my drink, and I have time now because it's Chase's turn to tell me a story.
1: And I got something that is a 180 degree turn from what we just heard. So this is a completely <laughs> different animal right here. Woohoo. So two episodes back, I covered the Caliuche, a Chilean ghost ship legend that is over 400 years old. It was a great story and I highly recommend that you check that episode out. One thing that both Lily and some of the sources I was using mentioned was that the Caliuche had more than a few similarities to another legend. Mm. So I felt it was only appropriate for me to cover it. Specifically, this week, while the other story is still relatively fresh, you know, even though we missed a few <laughs> weeks of episode posting. But Anyway, so get ready to dive in to the legend of the Flying Dutchman. Oh, nice. For well over 200 years, the legend of the Flying Dutchman has been a popular maritime legend. It details a mysterious ghost ship that is cursed to never make port and must sail the seas in perpetuity. Historian and writer Sir Walter Scott claimed that seeing the Dutchman, quote, is considered by the mariners as the worst of all possible omens, end quote. Even famed poet Thomas More had a role in describing the legacy of the ship when he stated, quote, fast gliding along a gloomy bark, her sails are full, though the wind is still, and there blows not breath her sails to fill, end quote. The most macabre element of the earliest legends are that the ship is often seen flying above the water, (laughs) gliding through the air, and is not actually in water. But these details, as well as many others, really depend on which version of the story you heard. As many of our other stories on this podcast demonstrate, legends often have multiple popularly accepted versions, and they're influenced by other things like stories and tales throughout Mm -hmm. the years. And this means that the lore of the Flying Dutchman is varied and stories are not always consistent. This is compounded by the fact that the written history of this legend dates back to the 1700s when it was immortalized in poems and books, and in the 1800s when it permeated deeper into popular culture from novels all the way to operas.
0: Oh, good.
1: This is a well-known story. Yeah. Some of these iterations vary so wildly that they can't even agree on what type of boat it is. Some say it is a Dutch cargo ship known as a floyt, flute. As far as I can tell, it's pronounced similar to flute. It's spelled F L U Y T. Mm. But that is a type of cargo ship. And other versions of the story claim that it is a Dutch man o' war, which is a very powerful warship. By the end of the 1800s and going into the 20th century, the ship had also gained the reputation of having an ominous glow about it, heightening its ethereal qualities. James William Buell researched accounts and tales of the Flying Dutchman. Many of those stories claimed that the ship often brought about terrifying storms with it. Quote, The phantom ship brings sudden squalls and howling tempests. She leads those who follow in her wake on to shoals, quicksands, and reefs. She is the purgatory of wicked sailors. Her skeleton crew is composed of the souls of thieves, murderers, pirates, who are condemned to everlasting toil with no rest, no play, and very little food. The phantom ship is never seen twice under the same circumstances. By one, she is beheld in the midst of a storm with all sails set, placidly plowing her way through the wildest billows. By another, she is beheld on a calm night with sails closely reefed, pitching and tumbling as though in a terrible storm, end quote. Many of the modern legends owe a significant portion of their story to Richard Wagner's 1843 opera Der Fliegend Hollander, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, which means the Flying Dutchman. In this version, the ship is captained by a man named Vanderdecken, and he invoked Satan in an attempt to round the Cape of Good Hope during a rather torrential tempest or storm. As with any story involving deals with the devil, the captain gets screwed. In this case, he is cursed. Mm. Only his curse is to endlessly sail the Cape of Good Hope for all of eternity. However, an angel offers him a chance at salvation, and every seven years he is able to touch upon the shore. And if he is to find a woman to marry him and be true to him, he will be released from his curse, which is like
0: Beauty and the Beast
1: and and, and all those <laughs> other things. The there's the frog, the Prince oh, Frog. Right, it, it's like pretty that. much the if you can find a girl to find you cool, then you get over your cursedness. So,
0: is he at least hot?
1: I doubt it. I think he's like an undead evil. Cursed man. Oh,
0: good. Okay.
1: I bet he looks pretty awful. <laughs> Other versions of this story give the captain a different name, most commonly Falkenberg, which reminds me of Lady Falkenberg's the bar in Durango that we would go to. Oh, well, yeah. But anyway, in this version, the boat is endlessly traversing the North Sea, and the captain is in a constant game of dice with the devil, with his life as the stakes. Sir Walter Scott's 1813 poem, Rokeby, is a variation of this version, only his version adds murder as well as a ship-wide plague that explains why no port will let the ship dock. The history of the Flying Dutchman is a mix of various stories, some with historical roots and others strictly fictional. The first known writing to address the existence of the Flying Dutchman was a casual reference by John MacDonald in 1790. Quote, "...the weather was so stormy that the sailors said they saw the Flying Dutchman." The common story is that the Dutchman came to the Cape in distress of weather and wanted to get into the harbor but could not get a pilot to conduct her and was lost, and that ever since, in a very bad weather, her vision appears. The sailors fancy that if you would hail her, she would answer like another vessel. End quote. George Barrington's 1795 book, A Voyage of Botany Bay, was another early reference to the Dutchman. Quote, in the night watch some of the people saw or imagined they saw a vessel standing for them under a press of a sail as though she would run them down. One in particular affirmed it was the ship that had foundered in a former gale and it must certainly be her or an apparition of her. But on its clearing up the object, a dark thick cloud disappeared. Nothing could do away with the idea of this phenomenon on the minds of the sailors and on their relating the circumstances when they arrived in port the story spread like wildfire, and the supposed phantom was called the Flying Dutchman. End mm. quote. There's also something satisfying about high-profile people witnessing supernatural things. Ooh. And not only does their reputation make them feel more relatable compared to the sea of unknown names we often hear, but it also ties the story to their reputation, and I mean that in both a good and a bad way. For example, we have one that is quite relevant with the current events as Queen Elizabeth just passed away. She saw it? No. Oh. (laughs) But it turns out that Queen Elizabeth's grandfather, King George V, Uh... claims to have seen the Flying Dutchman in 1880 when he was still just a prince, and was on a voyage with his brother Prince Albert. The prince's log mentions the incident, quote, a strange red light as of a phantom ship all aglow, in the midst of which light the mast, spar, and sails of a brig 200 yards distant, stood out in strong relief as she came up to the port bow where also the officer of the watch from the bridge clearly saw her, as did the quarter-deck midshipman who was sent forward at once to the forecastle. But on arriving, there was no vestige nor any sign whatever of any material ship was to be seen either near or right away to the horizon, the night being clear and the sea calm. Thirteen persons altogether saw her, and at 10.45 a.m., the ordinary seaman who had this morning reported the Flying Dutchman fell from the four topmast cross trees, onto the topgallant forecastle and was smashed to atoms, Ooh. end quote. If I'm interpreting this correctly, he claims that 13 people saw the ship clear as day and with an ominous glow about it. And when the midshipman was sent forward to investigate, the ship had vanished without a trace. And what's more, the person who initially spotted this ship, the Dutchman, fell to his death the following morning. Only the oh. prince used the colorful language smash to atoms, which I got really curious and I went down a rabbit hole. Turns out to have been a very common phrase back in the late 1800s and it was used to describe whenever something was destroyed. Hmm. I think atoms was like a new concept at the time. So like smash to atoms. Which oh, just means broken up.
0: I see. I was like, who's Adam? Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Despite its age, the legend of the Flying Dutchman still has a considerable presence in modern popular culture. There's going to be a portion of our listeners, particularly those of the millennial population, who are at least passingly familiar with the legend thanks to the show Spongebob Squarepants. I
0: was going to say, literally the only reason why I know it exists, it like existed before.
1: Well, I myself have seen very few episodes of Spongebob. I've seen a few. I do think they're funny, but I grew up without cable, so I didn't really have much of a chance <laughs> when I was growing up. So tell me a little bit about Spongebob's So Dutch he's right. kind
0: of, you know, supposed to be really scary, obviously. Um, there's a couple episodes with him in it. But I think the first time I saw an episode with it, he comes in, tries to be, you know, like this big, he kind of looks like a genie where at the bottom of his body is like a little tube, like a, like a wispy, like a wispiness, you know what I mean? So anyway, uh, he comes in, he's scary. He like, I think abducts SpongeBob or he like somehow joins him. And even though he's like this terrifying creature, SpongeBob is annoying him so much that he's like. It's like, like SpongeBob is breaking the Dutchman (laughs) because he's just too annoying. He's too much. He's too much. And he's like, I can't be scary with you around. But anyway, it's just, (laughs) it's just like really funny.
1: Well, I have to see that episode now that I've done this. Exactly, I I think you
0: should. I think you should.
1: But a version of the Flying Dutchman was also used in two of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, Dead Man's Chest and At World's End, which, if I'm not mistaken, are the second and third ones. Mm. According to Wikipedia, this version portrayed in these films took influence from Richard Wagner's opera that we mentioned earlier, and most notably that the Captain of the Flying Dutchman can only step foot on land, in this case, once every 10 years. So uh, I've seen the second one. I haven't seen the third one. Uh, I did like it. I want to see the third one. You haven't. Maybe we should watch one Yeah, I have not. Yeah, because I think you find out that, who plays Legolas? What's his name?
0: Uh, Orlando Bloom.
1: Orlando Bloom, you find out that his dad is a crew member of the Flying Dutchman. Uh, and that's why he hasn't seen him and he's cursed. Oh, wait. No.
0: Black Boots, Strap, whatever his name uh, is.
1: Bootstrap Bill or something like something that. Like something that. like that. yeah. It's been a long time it's since I've seen It's been so long. It. I just remember the f- original Pirates of the Caribbean is still like an amazing it's movie. It's so fun. So we should talk about this a little bit. It's obvious that, you know, this legend is going to be full of a lot of slender threads of created stuff and everything like that. However, I like the story about the king. He was a prince at the time, but, you know, the former king of England having seen this and everyone else has seen it and everything. It, it, it's interesting. So people say that they've often seen a boat flying above the water and they're like, this is the flying dutchman. Yeah. The cool thing is this might actually be the part of the story with factual basis,
0: so I have seen not not mirages, but like uh, confusing perspectives where there is a phenomenon where it does look like a and boat that's floating. what we're talking about. Oh, okay, so I have seen pictures of it. So there are literal pictures. If it's the Flying Dutchman, then there's pictures. Otherwise, it's actually explained. Yeah. So.
1: so the main explanation for the flying ship is, like you said, an optical illusion. More specifically, a type of mirage known as Fata Morgana or Feta Morgana. Uh okay. Named so after Morgan Le Fay from Arthurian legends. Mm. It refers to an effect that occurs near the horizon in which a ship will appear to have an inverted, almost ghost-like reflection in the sky above it. Which is going to have to do with light oh, right. passing through humidity, everything like that, moisture in the air. When ships are far enough away, their reflection can be seen in the sky before the boats themselves are visible. So that means you could see a boat that's below the horizon, so you can't see it from the shore, but, but it's you can reflective. see the reflection up in that's the sky. That's so wild. And so that's why it, it would be a much more obvious optical illusion to people if they can see the boat and see like, the exact mirror above it. Mm-hmm. But in this case, you would just see a boat right. like floating in the sky.
0: I think flat earthers have a problem with this uh, explanation here.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it is a well-documented effect. Happens often people. To, if you just search for this online, people have taken photos of it. Yeah, I looked at a lot of the photos and with modern cargo ships, that's how it's mostly seen. And it actually is oh, kind of cool. freaky and terrifying. We see this giant ship and it looks a little bit ethereal and it's just in the sky and you're like, what is happening? I mean,
0: you do report it like I think that's. Possibly likely what uh, King George the yeah. Fifth, you said, probably saw. And they like saw some the- sort
1: of reflection when they got up there. Yeah. Enough had changed in the atmosphere that you couldn't see it anymore.
0: Right. And so it was gone. Like it shifted, it yeah. kept going. So, I mean, you do want to report it because you're like, what the hell did I just see? Like, this is real. My eyes are not lying. But they didn't have an explanation, I'm sure. Well,
1: and yeah, and there is something to say about having an explanation. Because once someone tells you about an optical illusion that you see it, then it no longer weirds you out. And you're like, oh, that's what it yeah. is. But I mean, back then, I mean, most people weren't going to know what this was. So they were just like, man, this is mysterious. This is this is creepy. Yeah. And so.
0: Like, were, was anyone really looking into it? Like, who's going to discover? Exactly. You know what I mean? You have Especially to have someone. It, it, and
1: it only happens in fleeting moments. So even wanting to research it, you'd have to have to the right, you wouldn't know what the. The right person it, has
0: to see it to have the motivation the right to like time. figure it out. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And I think it's a very plausible explanation for what a lot of these alleged Flying Dutchman sightings were over the years. But for those of you wanting to Fox molder it up and really believe, <laughs> take comfort in knowing that this only serves as an explanation for many of the sightings and does not itself disprove the existence of a phantom ship. Because not all of them saw a floating ship. People were seeing a glowing ship. Ships in yeah. impossible storms or ships moving when there was no air. Like, there's other creepy things happening Apart from just so it flying. So
0: only one aspect of it has been explained in certain scenarios, but not all. So we don't know. Exactly. We don't know.
1: The origins of the legend are just as complicated as the details of the ship itself. Historians often associate it with the fact that the Dutch were a massive maritime power in the 17th century. I highly doubt any American who graduated high school hasn't heard of the Dutch East India Company. Mm-hmm. James William Buell's research suggests that phantom vessels are actually a recurring element throughout history. One example was the Frisians, which was a group of people located kind of in northwestern Germany and the Netherlands. Their history is complex, and although there are descendants of these people still living, their cultural kingdom or power, whatever you want to call it, was first recorded in 12 BC and stretched to around the 8th century. Well, the Frisians apparently had documented stories about a massive phantom ship so big had an evil captain who rode around the deck on horseback. It was so big, and it was so big that they claimed the ship was the size of a large island. Wow. Now Buell said the size of England, but I'm wondering if that okay. has to do with how Frisians perceived perception of sizes. You know, oh, people right. would say, "Oh, it's as big as an island," but they don't really know how big the island is because cartography was, you know, still something not the most accurate. If you look at like world maps before they even discovered America, sure. everything looks kind of weird. So. You have no idea. They say giant.
0: I mean, that's still kind of an overshot in my opinion, but maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I wasn't there.
1: Centuries before the Flying Dutchman entered the fray, French mariners had the Chasse Foudre? Chasse Foudre? I I don't know. C-H-A-S-S-E. Is it French? or F-O-U-D-R-E. Yeah, it's French.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I won't know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I just butchered that pronunciation, but it means the lightning chaser. Mm. The ship was also of impossible size said to take seven years to turn around what? and that her wake <laughs> is I this know
0: Noah's Ark or what is it
1: I know and her wake was strong enough that whales would become beached it had a crew Aww. of 25,000 and its sail was the size of Europe
0: okay calm down right right getting ridiculous
1: <laughs> but we're talking about old legends and people you know people are believing this when they see the sure. ocean the first time they're like it's vast and you like there's a boat out there bigger than the entire kingdom you live in, and the, the sale is massive. And people so are like, did I
0: they, believe you. <laughs> there was no Wikipedia. Do you blame them? So also, like, did they believe, like, you know, there were cities and colonizing going on on these ships? Or, like, what's happening? Like, is it just one like, guy? I don't think I have that detailed. Oh, okay. I think we're
1: just, he's, he's, I don't think someone wrote a deep history of this. there were just going to be passing mentions of it in different legends and lore or something.
0: Yeah, okay. That's...
1: So, obviously, the size is a gross exaggeration, and like the result of centuries-long game of telephone, many aspects of it do remain consistent. Buell noted that the ships were, quote, a place of punishment for wicked sailors, and some who beheld her saw death heads grinning from her ports, a skeleton captain walking her bridge, the corpse of a seaman on the lookout, and a ghost taking his trick at the wheel, end quote. Sailors also have a reputation for being particularly superstitious. Tales of sirens and giant sea creatures go back to ancient Greece and probably a lot further. This isn't a new phenomenon, and it's easy to see why. In the grand scope of human history, the ocean was largely unknown. The size and even shape of the earth is a relatively recent revelation, and taking a boat on the water and sailing thousands of miles would have been a risky endeavor with overwhelming uncertainty. Often sailors endured long bouts of isolation, and when other boats were encountered on the water, they often resulted in violent conflict. We fear the unknown, and sailors had quite a lot of uncertainty in their life. And sure, we can question and criticize all the phantom ship legends, but I think it sort of makes sense why these legends exist. All of those encounters with mysterious ships would compound the legend into what it is today. Whether or not the incidents were simply an optical illusion or perhaps near-miss collisions in foggy weather or even a pirate raid, I think the legend of the Flying Dutchman is a cautionary tale and an embodiment of maritime risk. Now, if someone gets a Flying Dutchman on camera, I'll reconsider, (laughs) you know, some shaky cell phone blurry footage.
0: Well, yeah, it's very difficult to convince anyone who's a skeptic, even if it's on video as we've discovered there's a lot of things out there that people claim is real and we still try to debunk it whatever especially now with like modern technology it's going to get even harder to prove something hasn't been absolutely doctored or like in completely manufactured in some way but yeah i i'm willing to believe if it's i think there might be ghost ships i mean i believe that possibly if you believe in ghosts, you got to believe in some sort of like
1: echoes ghost vehicles. Or,
0: or yeah, well, cause there's ghost, get around there's ghost trains. People have talked about that. There's ghost cars. There's ghost everything like ghost buildings. I think I've actually had a story very similar to that. Yeah. So why not a boat? Why not a boat?
1: Well, I mean, all I can think about is the idea of being out in the middle of the night, like, and it's a foggy, misty night. And, you know, everyone's a little bit, you know, nervous cause that's just not the best weather to be in. And if you just see another boat go by, it could be terrifying. And, and maybe something about that boat, everyone's just on edge and you're like, there's something wrong about that well, boat. Well, there is something Dutchman.
0: to it because then I think, you know, I don't know, if especially at the time or whatever, when this legend would have been produced. But like pirates, even today, are very much a real thing. Oh, yeah. So when you see another boat in this vastness that is the ocean, you're like, good or evil, I don't know, and if it behaves slightly off, you're like, okay, they're off their rocker. We're in the middle of the ocean, and we are the only two here. And
1: what are you supposed to do when you're on a boat? We're talking even, even water ones with motors and old ones that sail. If there's a problem that happens on the boat, where are you supposed to go? You can't run on the land. No, and you're in the water. You're probably going to die on your on your own, like just jumping into the water. So it's like it can be unsettling, very dangerous. So I just think it's very interesting that we have all these phantom ghost ships, and they always tend to be sailors who are justifiably terrified and they kind of just become bigger and bigger than they are (laughs) to the point where they're floating and the captain made a deal with the devil and all the crew is undead and that they can't make port and all this horrible stuff. Like it It gets extreme, but it makes it a cool legend. I
0: mean, it's a cool story, yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I believe in ghost ships, but the idea of a ghost ship is terrifying.
0: Yeah, it would be pretty creepy. Yeah, you're all alone and there's a damn boat. That's a ghost.
1: So until I see a... Someone post a picture on Facebook of a flying Dutchman. I'm gonna say I don't know if I believe in it, but it's a really cool idea.
0: Yeah, no Android videos. Yeah. <laughs> just
1: so I guess that's my story for today.
0: Uh, yay! I liked it. I thought it was really good. It just made my little SpongeBob loving heart sore because I I'd always known about him, but I didn't really know the lore as well. So now I do.
1: I just think it's unfortunate that SpongeBob didn't have an episode that dealt with the Russian sleep experiments. Because um, they could have probably brought some levity to it. So there is. I'm a... just seeing SpongeBob running around screaming. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Actually, it would be Squidward. There is a video. Uh, I think it's like another creepypasta thing. But it's like this uh, possessed kind of weird video of Squidward. And he kind of like mutilates himself. It's really disturbing. And people are like, yeah, this is another realm video i can't remember what the lore behind it is but it's really stupid but it's really fun too
1: yeah i'm not gonna watch that
0: i mean i already did so <laughs> so i'm not gonna make you watch it
1: what i am interested in watching is that ghoul thing on netflix i
0: do really want to watch yeah. that yeah maybe, maybe we'll tonight. see it tonight yeah
1: we did just recently see and we're not going to discuss them or anything we just saw the new evil dead Ooh, which
0: right yes we really
1: enjoyed and so with that's our cool.
0: niece shout out she like handled it like a champ. It was really, it was a really good, she loved it. She thought it was great.
1: Absolutely. And our, the most recent episode of our friends podcast, the dead letter movies, they yes. just covered that. So we're going to listen to that podcast now that we've seen the episode. Now that I saw it. it. Yeah, exactly. yeah, We were waiting because we wanted to, to get there. So we got to see that and that was a lot Yeah, of we're
0: not going to talk about it. If you want to listen, have opinions from someone who knows more about movies, go listen to dead letter movies, obviously.
1: I will just say that movie is our Very, very hard R.
0: (laughs) It's a hard R. (laughs)
1: Yeah. It's not a, should I bring my seven-year-old to it? Don't.
0: Yeah. That first scene, I was like, there it is. They did not (laughs) wait. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So anyway, uh, thank you guys for joining us today on Hair of the Werewolf. We hope that you had a great time. And if you have any comments or questions, please drop us a line at hotwpodcast at gmail.com. To any new listeners, we hope you enjoyed it. And make sure to deep dive into any of our previous episodes while you wait for the next episode. And for all our returning listeners, thanks. Hope you come back again. Hi. And for all of our listeners who are at work or driving or doing anything like that, have a safe day. And for those of you that are drinking, we hope your tomorrow isn't too rough. But if it is, don't worry, because the best cure for a hangover is fear. Bye.
0: See ya.